Well, as mentioned, my name is Daryl Temple. I have uh, the privilege of uh, co-leading this church with my wife and a handful of leaders. I say that every Sunday only because there are so many new people that join us uh, from Sunday to Sunday. I just want to make sure that I introduce myself. Um, if you've been with us the last, I think, four or five Sundays, we've been talking about prayer. How many enjoyed Dan Donovan's sermon? I wasn't able to be here for it. I was off marrying uh, Aham and Eleanor, uh, but I heard, and I actually checked out Facebook, I heard the sermon, and I actually witnessed it for myself, was spot on and so deeply encouraging. Were you here? Did you, were you encouraged by it? If you did, could you put your hands together? Awesome. Well, well, we are far from wrapping that sermon series up, although we're gonna pause on it for now. We'll probably pick it back up around January as kind of the holiday season um, uh, leaves and, and, and we kind of get further into the winter. Uh, so this Sunday, we're gonna be talking or taking a bit of a bunny trail, if you would, uh, on a one-off. This is when I just get to talk about what's ever in my heart, right? So hopefully it goes well. Uh, just so you know, I, I did study, I, I, I did pray. But I'm just going to speak more of what like, the Lord has spoken to me uh, just this week. And so I'm actually uh, titling this sermon, Wanted and Loved. Wanted and Loved. Um, if, if I was to hope that you would get anything from this sermon, it would be this. If there was a takeaway, if there was a, the big idea almost of this sermon, uh, my desire is that you would um, know today that Jesus loves you in spite of your flaws, he desires to use you in spite of your flaws, and that Jesus, yes, Jesus, delights in you in spite of your flaws. So Jesus loves you in spite of your flaws, Jesus desires to use you in spite of your, in spite of your flaws, and Jesus delights in you in spite of your flaws. I think it was Andrew, or Andrea, excuse me, Sawyer, the author, who said, um, if mistakes determine our worth to God, then we are all worthless. And thank the Lord, that is not the case. <laughs> I love that. Uh, the text of which I'm going to use is actually Mark 3, 13. I'm sure it's going to be here on the overhead, but it's the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 13. Now, just some context here. Jesus is going up to a mountain and he's taking his 12 disciples. He's going to commission them as apostles. This is, this is the scene. And it's interesting because these guys at this time in the storyline of the gospel are far from being apostolic. They are a wreck, you know, and we don't have time to get into it. But if you trail some of the stories that happen up until this moment, they're, they're just really getting started, but this is what Jesus is doing. And this verse kind of leapt off the page. Hope to convey this morning. He, Jesus, went up the mountain and called to him those of whom he desired. Jesus calls to himself, right? Those 12 men of who the Bible here in the Gospel of Mark says that Christ desired. The word desire means to be wanted. It, it means to take delight in. Can you imagine that? You know, often maybe we read this text, or when I first read it, I was like, oh yeah, he's calling them to commission them. 
But there's a certain aspect, there's something going on in Jesus' heart towards these disciples that's far more than this commissioning. He actually loves these men. <laughs> and it's interesting, as I said earlier, these men are in rough shape at this time. I'm thinking if I'm Jesus, I'm probably gonna have a hard time loving these 12 guys, like it's gonna really take an act of God. But yet Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, he conveys uh, through the author that there was a certain kind of desire that even in the messiness of who the disciples were, Jesus wanted them. Jesus desired to use them. Could you imagine and, and their state as young disciples of Christ that, that Jesus actually had in his mind the desire to use these flawed men? That, that, that blows my mind. But more than just use them, he delights in them. And it's, it's, it's important that we capture that thought this morning. You know, I, I, I'm sure, oh, let me just say this. It is hard to really serve Christ in a meaningful way. It is hard to be used by God, right? Without feeling loved by him or that he delights in you. Usually those who just wanna work and serve they feel like all the church wants to do is just use them, right? Or all that God wants to do is just use them. And that's ultimately the way we're gonna feel apart from actually witnessing and experiencing the love and the delight of Christ that he has in us. Now, I wonder how many of us woke up this morning uh, and came to church feeling wanted, right, by Jesus, are feeling like really knowing and being assured that Jesus delights in you. I, I imagine not many of us showed up uh, to church feeling that way. I didn't. <laughs> and, and that's really unfortunate. That's really, in my opinion, tragic. The truth is most of us struggle feeling that our worth to God is in what we do for God or what we produce for God. The idea is this, the harder we work, right? The, the more we grind at this thing called faith, somehow the more valued and cherished we feel by God. Are, are, are we actually like experience? Oh, yes, of course, God, I'm important to him. Look at the way that I'm serving him. Look what I'm doing for him. But this doesn't seem to be the case in scripture. It really isn't. In the gospel stories, Jesus loved people who pretty much could give him nothing back in return. Not only did he love them, he went after them, he sought after them. The poor were loved and sought after by Jesus. I mean, what can you get from the poor? We, we know this because we're actually gonna go serve the poor during Thanksgiving. We're not gonna receive anything in return for that service, although our reward in heaven will be great. But Jesus also wanted and reached out to the distressed. He, he loved and he, and he searched out the sick. And so this is so contrary to the gospel and the stories that we find in it. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I heard Jesus' call to surrender my life and follow him, I was in a broken state. I was quite surprised that Jesus wanted, to do, wanted anything to do with me. Like, it was that bad, 
right? And honestly, I don't even know if the thought of Christ actually entered my mind at the time. But my point is this, Jesus clearly had an interest in me and for that I am grateful and I hope you feel that same gratefulness as well. That although the time in your life when Jesus reached out to you and saved you and called you to follow him, that you felt, I, I got nothing to give you in return, that that wasn't his interest. His interest wasn't what you could give him in return. It was simply that you would lay down your life, pick up your cross and follow him. My prayer for us this morning is that we feel the immensity of Jesus's desire for us and his delight in us this morning. My wife will periodically uh, compliment me from time to time. It's, it's a rare occasion, but it happens. Um, no, she does a lot of it, actually. Uh, I need to do more of it. She does a lot of it. Uh, and, and sometimes it will just be something simple like this. Man, you're a great dad, right? And I automatically think to myself, well, I wonder what's prompting that. Like, what's, what's making her say that? Because I really like hearing it. And if I could just do more of it, you know, whatever it is, whatever adjustments I need to make. So I'll ask her, like, like what, what prompted that? And she'll usually respond with, uh, nothing. You're just an awesome dad. So, okay. Or, or she'll say, man, you're a wonderful husband. And again, I'm thinking, man, like, what, what, what did I do? I mean, you know, it's been a while since uh, I've heard that, babe. What, like, please tell me. I, I'd like to know uh, so that I can continue doing it. And she'll say, nothing. You're just a great husband. But instinctively, again, I, I automatically think to myself, what did I do to deserve such praise? Because again, I'd like to repeat that. I'd like to continue doing that. The truth is, I, I did most likely do something that triggered uh, that compliment from her. To be honest, it's my goal to continue performing in such a way so that I continue to get those praises uh, because I actually like the benefits I get. This is a tip for all you husbands, and that I get uh, from my wife when she's happy with me. So, man, it's true. Like your father say, my father-in-law says it all the time. Um, a happy wife means a happy life. And it's true. Uh, but all joking aside, uh, being a good father and a good husband doesn't necessarily come naturally to me. I try, you know. I, 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 I put my best foot forward, but I fail just like all of us. I fall short of those things. And if I'm honest, at times, being a good husband, being a good father, being a good follower of Christ uh, takes a lot of work. <laughs> takes a lot of work. And, and, and sometimes it feels like I'm just performing those duties. It's almost like I'm just trying to, you know, act a certain way that goes against the grain of how I really feel at the time. Anybody relate to that? Anybody, you know, like you just sometimes think like one honest person, thank you, Aham, I knew I loved you, man. Uh, but it's true, sometimes, you know, it just feels like we're performing, you know, like just like, because we, we, we want to honor God, we want to love our wives, right? But, but sometimes those things don't come natural. So the, the best thing to do is just, okay, like, I don't want to respond lovingly in this moment. Like, uh, I'm frustrated, I'm tired, I'm going to, oh, I want to, my flesh wants to get advantage of me. But, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of putting those things to rest and acting a certain way. 
And I guess my point is, is although that may work in our marriages, that may work in our relationships with one another, it doesn't really work in our relationship with Christ. It doesn't. But unfortunately, we live in a performance-driven society. The reality is, is that um, uh, performance is kind of like a natural extension or or, our action of our lives, especially in a city like Boston. You know, from the academic institutions that we're in to the workplace, the, 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 the competitive, you know, place in the work, the competitive streak in the uh, workplace, the pressure to f- perform is kind of a way as, uh, of survival, really. And it's pervasive in this city. And how well we perform is almost in everything we do in the West, from the classroom again, from the office to the work to the sports field. In general, life feels like a big performance. And we're almost obsessed with it. But again, performance won't get us all that far when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. If we're thinking that Jesus's love for us, his desire in us, his delight in us is based upon anything that we've done or are currently doing, we will struggle the rest of our Christian life feeling fully fulfilled by the riches of his love. And I don't know about you, I just, I don't want to struggle. I don't want to feel like my Christian faith is about just performing. It's just about putting a certain, you know, facade or or certain attitude out there. I want these things to be real and sincere in my heart. But again, in order for that to happen, we got to come free of some of these worldly vices. Because in faith, those things don't work, right? In faith, it's not about our performance that causes Christ to love us or want to use us or delight in us. It's really based upon Christ's performance. Jesus's performance at Calvary, right, is how we know we are loved. It's how we know Jesus desires to use us. And it's how we know Jesus delights in us. This is all, always the way it's been to Jesus. Even in the moment here in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. We can relate with the disciples. It's a ragtag, dysfunctional group of men who have now following Jesus with their own baggage and issue. And some of those issues and some of that baggage is big. (laughs) They're unqualified, right? But yet Jesus doesn't say that that's the criteria of actually being a follower of him, follower of him, meaning you don't have to get all your stuff together in order to follow Christ. These guys were more like a liability to Jesus than anything else at this time. They would honestly damage the credibility of Jesus's ministry if they were given a chance at this time. I mean, Judas Iscariot was stealing money, y'all, from Jesus. He would just help himself from time to time, dip his hands in the basket and just take freely what wasn't his. And yet, he was the same man who sold Christ to his death. I mean, and this, that's, that's just the dramatic side of, of, 
of the caliber of some of these guys. We can get into things about Peter and others that are just as alarming. They were hardly ideal, yet Jesus loved, delighted in them, and desired to make them the men who would ultimately go on and change the world, or as the book of Acts says, turn it upside down. I know you've heard this before, and I don't coin it as my own, but Jesus qualifies the unqualified, right? He does, and and all of us can resonate with that. I certainly can. I certainly can, man. If you knew my story, and I've gotten into it from time to time here at church, and I'm not about to get into it again, but I sit, I sit here Sunday after Sunday, rather if it's behind a guitar or a pulpit, and I'm amazed that I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs> and some of you are, you know, you're like, wow, amazed. Not for the reasons I'm amazed, but you're just, you're taking, you're like, oh my God, how'd that guy get a microphone? But, um, but it's true. It, it, it's a testimony to the mercy and grace of our God. And, and, you know, some of us are so familiar, you know, with that statement. Like, you are who you are in Christ because of his mercy and grace. And it hardly touches any place and warms any part of your heart these days. But, man, I just, I, I want to be part of a church who, you know, 15, 20, 30 years into walking with Jesus, they can still shed a tear and, and, and feel an emotion come over their hearts when a pastor or a speaker starts talking about the grace and mercy of Christ. Oh, man, oh, man, that our hearts would still move at a God who loves us, even in our flawed state, a God who desires to use us in our flawed and broken, sinful state. And I think more deeply moving, a God who delights in us in our flawed and broken state. That's, that's enough to, to well up inside of my heart a lifetime of worship. We're going to close our service out with communion, and I don't think there's any more appropriate way to take time and reflect upon what really has qualified us as believers. And so I'll invite um, Nefemi up. But it's, it's what we're about ready to do right now. With, with the drinking and the breaking of bread, the eating and the drinking of, of, of these elements, it's in this that we're reminded of what qualifies us as believers.